0: Well, if you've been with us the past few weeks, and I hope you've got to hear some of the stories from the seats, but we've had individuals from our church family share their testimony, really, of how the living Christ has worked in their lives, and what he's done over the course of their lives, how he's shaped them, and how he's been moving in them to draw them to himself, and how he's carried them through challenging times, and Uh, It was just a great time to listen to how the work of God, the word of their testimony is what the Bible calls that. But before that, it was just right after Easter we started that. Before that, we were going through the Old Testament. And we did an overview of the Old Testament for six weeks because when we did the reveal survey, many in our church family said we want to understand the Bible better. And so over the course of this year, really, we've kind of done the overview of the Old Testament up to the time of Christ. And then, of course, we celebrated the death and resurrection of Christ on Easter weekend, and then the testimonies of the living Christ, and now we're going to the first 50 days after the resurrection of the Christ, the first 50. And we're going to focus in on this part of the story of our history, the history of our faith, and what happened in those first 50 days and what it was like for the followers of Jesus. And as we do this overview of the picture of the Bible, we're going to pull out practical things for life in that period of of our faith history. And so in the first 50 days, we're going to look at the story of what was happening there. And I would invite you to turn to the book of Acts with me. It'll also be on the screen here. Acts chapter 1. And as I look at you know, what what Luke writes in here, this is actually Luke who writes Acts. He wrote the book of Luke. He's a doctor. And he was writing down what he experienced uh, when Christ was alive in the book of Luke and then through his death and resurrection. And then after the resurrection he came back and he wrote the book of Acts. And it's really the Acts of the followers of Jesus after Jesus was gone. But in Acts chapter 1, he writes about that first 50 days. And he's writing, he, his, both of his writings are to a man named Theophilus, who was a governing official. And Luke took pains to record details about Jesus. He saw it was very important to write down who Jesus claimed he was, what Jesus said, what Jesus did, what all happened around the life of Christ. And so that's how we learn this story, because God moved people to write this down. And so Luke writes this, and this is what he writes, Acts chapter 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he says, so this is after the death and resurrection of Jesus. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So we know from the resurrection uh, to the time that Christ was ascended, there was 40 days. And Luke says that, do we have that graph up there? Luke says during this time, 40 days, it was maybe the one right before this, 40 days of Christ appearing, he gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. Think about what happened in the followers of Christ's hearts and minds You know, in response to Jesus. They came in on Palm Sunday and everyone was celebrating him. Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. This is a week before Easter Sunday. The whole sentiment towards Jesus is positive, it seems. For many of the people, it seems like in a political movement, he's winning the race. But by the end of that week, the whole tide has turned against him. And the followers of Jesus, his apostles, his disciples, those around him, had to be very confused and alarmed by what was happening. Peter was so alarmed, at one point when Jesus was being arrested, he cut off the ear of one of the soldiers who was arresting him. So they went from a high to a low as they watched Jesus falsely accused, uh, beaten, whipped, and then he was crucified. And they had to be in a real disoriented state. Many of them probably confused, wondering if they'd been duped. And then Easter Sunday morning rolls around. They've probably lost their faith in many ways. They're feeling very vulnerable in their faith. And the tomb is empty. And they don't know what to believe. They're confused. And so Jesus, God, for 40 days works to restore them. It's one of the beautiful things about God. When we go through a hard period, he in his compassion and mercy wants to restore us to a right relationship with him, a confidence with him. So for 40 days, Luke says, he gave them convincing proofs. At one point, he appeared, the book of Corinthians tells us, to over 500 individuals. And he did this personally for many of them. He went to Peter, and Peter had turned against him and disowned him three times. We know this in the story. And so three times, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter responds to him. He says, "Feed my sheep." And he restores the heart of Jesus to have confidence, or Peter to have confidence in him. To Thomas, he went to Thomas and said, "Thomas, why do you doubt?" And he, he gave him, "See my hands. See my side." And he restored Thomas. Stop doubting and believe. Jesus wanted his followers to be convinced of who he was, and these followers were in the unique position. Many people in that time were in the unique position to have seen Jesus die see him crucified, see his body taken down, see him put in a tomb, and then for 40 days to see him walk around. He ate with them. He talked with them. It had to be an encouraging, faith-building time. We weren't confused. We weren't duped. They were probably wondering what was going to come next. So for 40 days he appeared to them, gave them many convincing proofs. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait, wait. Wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I want to talk to you today about the waiting periods of life. Practically speaking, in this period of the scriptures we see God instructing his disciples to wait. And he doesn't necessarily tell them how long. It's so often that way with God. Go to Jerusalem and wait. And he says, in a few days. Now what does that mean when Jesus says, in a few days? I don't know. The Bible says, to the Lord a few days is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day. It's it's confusing when God says, wait for some time. They don't know how long they're going to wait. Sometimes in life, we don't know how long we're going to wait for what God wants to do in our life next. Anybody experienced that? Life is just filled with periods where we have the opportunity to wait and, in a sense, wonder what's going to come next or what's around the corner. And the, the followers of Christ, I think, give us a beautiful example right here in Acts chapter 1 of how to wait well how to how to use those waiting periods in life really well. I asked my wife, I said, Hon, when you look back and you notice the waiting periods in life, what are some of the waiting periods that come to your mind and how did you handle them? Well, only one came to her mind. And that was what she says, I really remember waiting a long time for a guy I was dating to find a ring. <laughs> That's all she could think about. Be sure and talk about that, she said. But what does a gal do when she's waiting or a guy is waiting, maybe they're dating someone thinking it might come to and they're not sure and they're in that waiting period? What do kids do, you know, when they're headed towards Christmas or one of their birthdays when they're and they're waiting and they're anticipating and they know something's coming and they're so excited. Or there's those harder waiting periods when when you've been to the doctor and you have a problem and they're doing some tests and you're waiting for the results, or you're in a job situation that you don't like, but you don't feel like it's time to make a change, but you're, you're in that period between the now and the not yet, and you're just waiting for something different in life, you're hoping for something different in life. Or you're a senior and we have seniors graduating and they're waiting to be accepted by a college somewhere they're not sure where they're going to go and they're they're waiting to figure out what to do next or, or college seniors that have graduated now and don't have a job and they're waiting to find a job. And I remember when my wife got out of college and she didn't have a job right away and so she went to work for her father in his dentist office and it really wasn't the right fit for her but she just waited and waited and waited. And, and what do you do in those times? The disciples give us some great examples of what to do, model for us. So he said to them, uh, the story continues, go wait in Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit will come in a few days. When they met together, they asked him, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Because they were waiting for him to do this, restore the kingdom of Israel. He said, it's not for you to know the times or the dates my father set by his own authority, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. He said, Something's going to happen. God's going to do a move in your life in a few days, and you're going to be his witnesses around the world, my witnesses. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. This is 40 days after the resurrection. Taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And Alice is going to talk about where is Jesus now in these 50 days, and where did he go? cloud hit him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back to you in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. When you read through the scriptures, you see there's so much waiting going on. This is one of the things... Believers in Christ have been waiting for, for 2,000 years. This same Jesus, who went up this way, will return in this way. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, all of creation is in waiting for this restoration. When the King of Israel, the King of the eternal kingdom, returns and restores everything. In a sense, we're all in a waiting period, groaning, the Bible says, hoping for that day of redemption. The same Jesus who went will return. So what do they do now? They enter this waiting period, Jesus ascends. And it's beautiful what they do. Then, verse 12, then they simply did what Jesus instructed them to do. They returned to Jerusalem from the hill called Mount of Olives, it was about a Sabbath day's walk from the city. I just find this so simple and so beautiful, but it's hard to keep in mind. They sim- Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and wait. And what did they do? They simply obeyed. One of the things we can do in those waiting periods of life is simply do what we know Jesus has already instructed us to do. Luke records in the Gospel of Luke, there was a time when some individuals asked Jesus, of all the things God has instructed us to do, of all the things he wants for us to do, what is the most important? Do you know what Jesus said? Luke 14, 27. He answered them this. The most important thing you can do is learn to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Deepen your love with God. The the most important thing. And then, really, he said, the second is like it in Luke, he just said, and love your neighbor as yourself. Maybe, just maybe, Waiting periods in life. Those periods between the now and the not yet are gifts from God to help deepen us in our journey with Him. Respite periods where we can fall more in love with Him and grow in our ability to love each other. Because we're not in the stress of the next move of God in our life, maybe those waiting periods are the deepening periods for us where we can send our roots down into God deeper and we can learn to Gently and carefully love those around us better. The Bible says, you know, you know, it says, the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself in love. Jesus has told us the most important thing to do in life is love God and love others. And the waiting periods allow some margin to deepen our ability to do this. They obeyed Jesus. They they went on this walk because that's what Jesus has told them to do. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Matthew, James, Simon, Judas. Here's the next thing they did. They were obeying what Christ had said. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. What a get this picture go and wait there's going to be a, a a margin period a period where we know something's going to come but it's not going to come right away so there's this space so they obey what Jesus has said and then not only are they you know following his instructions but they're getting intimate with him They're constantly praying. What does that mean? They all join together in constant prayer. I'm just suggesting to you this morning that God gives us these waiting periods for our good, to nurture our walks with Him, not to be wasted on frivolous things, but to to renew our obedience and remind ourselves of what really matters and let these priorities bubble to the surface. And what Jesus said, the most important thing, loving God, loving others, and then developing this intimacy with their Creator, constantly praying. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, they will bear much fruit. You know, what these, you know what these followers of early followers of Jesus are doing? In their downtime? They're learning to abide better. So their life can be more fruitful. They're preparing for a more fruitful life. Constantly giving themselves to prayer. Then what did they do? In those days, I was just so encouraged as I studied this text in preparation for this. Lord, I can use my downtimes better. And I thought about all the times I wait. Early in the morning I get up, there's a waiting time. It's a time to prioritize. You're on a flight and you have a four-hour layover somewhere. It's a waiting period where you can deepen yourself. You're at a doctor's office. It's a waiting period. It's not time to wait. There's so much waiting time in life. It's not time to waste. It's a time to seize. Give yourself to prayer. Remind yourself of what really matters. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers, the Scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas. Judas is the one who betrayed Jesus. He served as a guide to those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There in that field he fell headlong and his body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. What a graphic picture. I don't know if you've ever seen this when a body lays dead for a little while. I grew up on a farm and when I read this, I... I just couldn't help but remember when you have a carcass that you throw out from a livestock pen and you don't get to it soon enough in the summer and it bloats a little bit and all of a sudden it bursts open. I think this is what the Bible is saying happened to Judas. He bought a field. He went out there and we, we don't know but we think he maybe have committed suicide and then he just laid there. Nobody wanted to go near him because he had betrayed Jesus and all this fanfare around Jesus and his body burst open. It's a part of the story. Peter said, and Peter then looking in the scriptures, they called it the field of blood. He said his place would be deserted. There's no one to dwell in it. We should then find another to take his place of leadership. And so Peter said it's necessary to choose one, one of the men who've been with us the whole time with the Lord Jesus from the time of John's baptism to his ascension. We need another person to be in the leadership team, in a sense is what he was saying, who can bear witness to the resurrection. And so he said, they proposed a couple individuals, Joseph and Matthias, and they prayed and they said, God, you you know whose heart is right for this calling. And they sought the Lord, and then they threw lots, it said, and the lots fell to Matthias, and then they put Matthias in that spot of leadership. Here's what I see what they were doing. They were simply taking care of some practical things to be ready and available, to be organized when the next move of God came. Think of this now. They just obey what Jesus has said, what the basics of what he, the fundamentals of what he had told them. They grow in their intimacy with him through prayer and fellowship with him. And then, in the wisdom of God and searching the scriptures, what practical things should we do to get ready for what's coming next? And they say, well, we need to replace, you know, someone who's fallen by the wayside here. Oftentimes those down periods in life are gifts from God for us to take care of the loose ends or the, the frayed ends that we've neglected or haven't taken care of. Perhaps it's time in a down period to, to beef up the order of our finances or to clean the garage or or to take care of a broken relationship that we haven't addressed. and Perhaps it's time to to take care of some of those things we've been ignoring. because And if we do that and we're prayerful before the Lord and we're saying, God, I want to be ready. I want to be ready for the next thing that comes. That's what I see them doing. They're not wasting that time. They're disciplining them. I got so excited thinking about this. I've been motivated to do this in my life, periods of time. God, when you give me space, help me tweak my life so I'm freer and more available for the next thing. Because the next thing's always coming. God's going to move again. The Bible says if we draw near to Him, He'll draw near to us. What happens? He gives them a certain number of days, it ends up being ten days. They get their house in order. They get organized. They get, you know, abiding with Him. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came. God is always doing a new thing. The Bible says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive what God has prepared for those who love Him. If we're deepening ourselves in love with Him, in fellowship with Him, He's preparing new things. Paul writes that to the Corinthians, it actually comes out of Isaiah, Isaiah 64 4, where the prophet Isaiah said, Since ancient times, no one has heard, no one has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. I don't know if you're in a waiting period today. Over spring break, my family got to stay in a quiet community and I would take a jog each evening and I noticed that many of the individuals in the community would sit out on their porches or on their front drives in their lawn chairs and I got to know a couple of them over the course of the week and one night I stopped and I was visiting with a couple of them and they were all older than me it was as I started to learn it was more of a retirement community and I was visiting with this older two wives who'd lost their husbands And I talked to him about the community. I said, this is a very nice community. And you know what? One of them parroted back to me right away. She said, oh, thank you. It's a community in waiting. I got nervous. (laughs) I had a hunch of what she was talking about. But I had to ask. I said, waiting. And she said, she didn't need to say any more. And I've thought about that so often since then. It's the destiny of us all. Either Christ returns before our time, or death comes, and we're in waiting. It was Dr. Archibald Hart who one time I was listening to him. He said, you know, every day we die a little. We give a little of our lives away. We spend another day. And so often I've thought since there, are they using that time well? Am I using that time well? In the waiting between the now and the not yet. Am I giving myself to what Jesus has told me to give myself to? Am I praying and abiding with Him so my life can be fruitful? Am I preparing things for eternity, practical things? Am I giving myself to the right things so I'm more available and more free? That's what the disciples did in their waiting period. Waiting for the next wind. Whether it's the wind to go to heaven or the wind of a new move or a change in our lives. I hope you, like me, can be encouraged by what the disciples did in that 10-day period of waiting. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word and how you inspired individuals to write it down so we can know our history and what we can learn from it. Just practical things about our lives And in this this context here. How to wait well. And if, if there's those of us who are in real waiting periods now, transitionary periods... I pray that you remind us of what really matters and give us a passion to pursue those things, intimacy with you and a faithfulness to you, and to use this time to tie up loose ends so we can be ready for your next wind. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.